But because this is the last generation of humans, they're being um, consumed. They're being, um, dare I say, they're fodder. They're fodder for the machines. And the machines are eating this last generation of humans before they become one with the machines. Because the humans are going to fight back and then merge. I do think the human race will make it through. Yes, we may lose a lot, but we are, in this next 30 years, we are upgrading the human race to machine levels. This is not just having bigger muscles or bigger six packs or being able to run as fast as Usain Bolt. We're upgrading a human race, almost like we're having a software update. And we're all going to have it in the next 30 years and, and some won't make it and some will uh, to prepare to, to become uh, an intergalactic species. I'm Chris O'Hare, your Quick Win CEO. And as a CEO, I've run businesses, founded startups, consultant for others, and even won awards. But in this show, we'll be talking to the entrepreneurs and experts to help you understand key concepts for your business, along with three quick wins that you could take away and apply to your business today. And every week, we'll be finding out about the entrepreneur themselves and diving into a different but important topic. And what a treat we have in store for you today. We get to have a peek inside the brilliant mind of one of the pioneers of social media, Thomas Power. Thomas co-founded eCademy in 1998, a networking platform for business leaders at the dawn of the internet. Since then, Thomas has gone on to author eight books and worked with several leading names, including The Apprentice's Lord Sugar, former Microsoft CEO Steve Ballmer, and former monk Jay Shetty. And in this podcast, Thomas tells us all about how he envisaged the future of technology, from humans merging with machines, reaching singularity, to cryptocurrency bulldozing the financial institutions. So here we go, Thomas Power. Thanks for coming on this show, Thomas. Firstly, tell me the last thing that you watched or read or did that left an impression on you. It could be a Netflix series, a funny book you read, a, a quote you heard, anything. Chris, thanks for inviting me on your show. Um, in the last 24 hours, the chief executive of one of the boards I sit on, the one in New Zealand and Australia, he put something on LinkedIn, a picture of himself. It was a podcast interview with one of, uh, one of the journalists down there in uh, New Zealand. And he, he just put this little thread with it that business is hard, but you just have to keep going. And it's just sat with me for the last 24 hours on my walk this morning with Penny, because business is hard and you do have to keep going. And I know it seems terribly obvious and it's not really a revelation, but I like, because I've sat on so many boards of directors over the last 30 years, I just like, it's nice to be reminded the difficulty of creating business, which is why the exceptional performers, your Apples and your Netflixes, your Googles, your Facebooks, they have something unique, those particular companies. And they have, like Microsoft, they have these genius chief executives. They're geniuses. 
And I think in the generation that you're growing up in, in your 30s, I'm in my late 50s, you're, you're growing up inside almost like a virtual reality system, like a matrix. And that, that matrix, that system we call the internet or the World Wide Web or VR or whatever label you wish to give it, you've got, you've got 4 billion people, half the planet, playing inside this matrix. But the matrix is actually run by probably about a dozen geniuses, but like Bill Gates, like Mark Zuckerberg, Larry Page, like uh, Daniel Ek at Spotify. And your generation have got to operate inside a giant computer game. And you talk about the, the market talks about AR and VR and these forthcoming technologies. And we're all going to sit there with our masks and helmets on. And I think they don't realize they're already in it. You're already in it. And during that, during that same time, you've got this situation where every single product is under attack from a competitor, sometimes a free competitor. But I think the interesting thing about the 2020s is this, is this is the decade when money itself is under attack from Bitcoin, from Ethereum, from Polkadot. Money itself, the US dollar, the pound note, the euro, the yen, Renembi, even money is under attack from competitors. And I find that very interesting that there's no sacred product or utility that isn't going to be attacked by one of these technology, what can I call them, embryos. And this, this intrigues me because it's, it's going back to Adrian's thing. It's, it's not just that business is hard and you've got to keep going. It's that you've got to get better at playing a game in real time in the matrix where you're playing in real time and you're, you're buried in messages, notifications, social media, news, upside, downside. And to be, to be a board member, to be a chief executive, to be an inventor, to be a creator during this time, in real time, it's very hard to make good decisions in real time. Very hard. Because making decisions require considering choices. And considering choices require receiving information, observing it, considering it, debating it, dismissing that, accepting that, dismissing this, experiencing that. That's okay. That's brilliant. That's not bad. And then choosing and then making a decision and then giving somebody the opportunity or the responsibility to implement that decision. That's what you do on boards. But you have to now do that in real time. Where you have no time to consider. Very little time to debate. And that's a big change. And it's accelerating. And of course, when you roll forward to 2050 when we see the singularity where man and machine becomes one in the 2040s, where the machines are inside our heads, where we're the devices on the internet, the, the 8 billion devices on the internet, the IOT devices, they're us. We're the IOT devices. We're the AI, it's us. People say, oh, you know, what happens when AI takes over? We start getting governed by AI. And I think, eh, it's us, we're the AI. But the exciting thing about the opportunity that you have, I think, in your generation with blockchain, with tokens, with competitive money, with non-fungible tokens, NFTs, as they're now labeled, but basically tokens. What you see with this 
richness of technology and the richness of competitors competing with cryptocurrencies as well, alternative forms of money or reward, is you see a world of unlimited competition, unlimited competition, but unlimited opportunity. And I actually believe, despite all the AI scary, we're all going to be sitting on a bench smoking weed, drinking beer, because the robots are going to be doing everything. I actually think that's nonsense. And we're actually going to not have enough people to do all the work. I think the reverse is going to happen. Because all we hear all the time is universal basic income. Everyone needs $2,000 a month and we sit around smoking weed. I don't believe it for a minute because there's so many support services around these companies that need to be run by people. I, th I think the scale of the opportunity now, it's only really hit me since I've realized that money itself is under attack from competitors. So if money itself is under attack and we're going to have many monies, yeah, we, we have, we're walking into unlimited opportunity and you've got to make decisions in real time. I think, wow, only very rare people are going to be able to handle this as a board member, as a founder, as a chief executive. So these are the, uh, this is a long answer to your question. These are my witterings. These are my musings that go on in my head as I do my daily walk before I sit down and absorb the machines. <laughs> Sorry about that. I'm glad we're recording this. There's a lot in there to unpack. There's a, there's a lot of information um, and very much, I think you've just uh, made me realize how much of a futurist you are and how they're always predicting in uh, very much like me i'm always looking what's next what's the thing that's gonna uh, radicalize our world do we see it today which, which i think you've got to remember chris for, for someone like me I, i'm now 57 and i've been online since i was 25 and so i've been plugged in for 32 years so I'm, I'm effectively a digital uh, artifact. I'm like a digital historian. I, I remember the 32 years. I know, I know life offline. No, no computers, no internet, no, no television, just radio. I remember all that. And then this world of being online or being connected. And I don't think it's so much uh, that I'm a futurist. I don't have your skills, your technical skills, your CTO skills. I, I don't have those skills. What I have is powerful observational skills. Uh, because my, my deep love is history, I studied religious history. That's my deep knowledge area of European religious history, Middle East and America. I, I look at technology companies as religions. So when I look at a Google or a Facebook or a Twitter, I, I see, is that Calvinism? Is that Zwingliism? Is that Catholicism? Is that Protestantism? Is that Sui? Is that uh, Muslim? So I look, at, I look at the companies like I look at religions. And then I look at the leader of that company it's like the leader of that religion, like we have Jesus Christ for Catholicism or we have Muhammad for uh, Muslim. And so I, I, I try and consider the arrangement of the company as, as a religious shift because the, the, the technology itself 
the technology itself is a species. And I, I don't think people have realized that the what we call the, the computer, the, the mobile phone, the tablet, the, the keyboard, the laptop, these devices we have around us, I mean, all, all of these devices are with me now. They're coming inside us. And they're just gonna come inside us as a, as a single chip on the internet. And that's the singularity. And Ray Kurzweil, who, who wrote The Singularity is Near, and, and Ray talks about the merger of man and machine in 2045. He wrote the foreword to my second book in 1999. I had no idea of the scale of his vision. And so the, the coming together of, of man and machine with these devices gives the, gives the perception of being a futurist, but actually it's really just me absorbing myself into the machines and the machines absorbing themselves into me. It's like a biological shift from being online for 30 years because my kids are 28, and 26 and 23 they they only know this world they don't know a world of offline of no machines of no televisions of no video recorders of just a radio we just had a radio and a newspaper nothing else and the whole thing intrigues me because i like to have one foot in the past and i like to have one foot in the future and so I don't really have anything in the present. I don't have any feet left. And so living in the, in, in the present is a, is a real challenge. And the way I challenge myself is to sit on boards as an independent director to say, okay, you, you, you've been online for 30 years, you know all that, you, you've sat on a, a dozen boards, you know all that. But now try and deal with this problem with this organization now in real time and, and listen to everybody and try and be an independent, objective voice with no bias. And Chris, it's so hard to have no bias. <laughs> it's so difficult to have no bias because we have bias. We've, we've just seen it in the last 48 hours in terms of... Uh, the Royal Family and what's going on in California. I'm sure the listeners will know what that's all about, but it's very, very hard to have no bias. And that is, uh, that's my, that's kind of deep innate in me when I listen to issues with the children and their businesses or, or the bit members and their businesses or my friends with their business or, or domestic issues. I just sit and listen thinking, just listen you might not need to speak because I think we're moving, we're moving into an environment now uh, really shown up to be real by Clubhouse where listening itself is a service. So when I think about Clubhouse, I call that LASS. It's not SAS, it's listening as a service. It's a listening platform. It's more than radio because radio is just the sound. You can't interact with the radio unless you phone in. But in listening as a service, you're listening, you've got a live audience listening to a radio show, like a theatre. It's like theatre. You have the stage and you have people watching, clapping, but they can't contribute because they don't know the words. 
And so I'm very intrigued that after 20 years of social media broadcasting noise at us, here's this noise, let me give you this image, this video, these words, these tweets, these blogs, this... I think, oh, the world's saying, I'm sick of all of that. Let's just do listening to one another now. We sit on our phone and we'll listen in small intimate groups to one another, 20 people, 30 people, 50 people. I know there's giant rooms, but to me, those are marketing rooms. Let's listen in small intimate groups to one another and think, oh my God, we've gone all the way back mm. to sitting around the campfire listening to stories. And, and Clubhouse is a story platform primarily about listening. And, and you queue up in the uh, reset room feature, you queue up to ask your question. Hello, Mr. O'Hare, can I ask my question, please? Can I make my comment, please? And so I think as, as mankind is moving forward, it's reaching back and it moves forward and it reaches back and it moves forward and reaches back. But now we are, we are one generation away. It's 2021. We're one generation away. So that's less than 30 years away from man and machine becoming one. My children's children will still be human. My children's children's children will be machine-based humans. Wow. What a statement. And something I completely believe. I think this is a time of unprecedented change. And it's only accelerating. And the fact that it's you only said... accelerating. And the fact that you said how people will not be out of a job. There'll be more jobs, there'll be more to do. Uh, it's something else I've been, you know, hammering on to people about automation. And essentially that's, that's what we're doing. That's what I do on a daily basis. I help businesses automate and I make them realize the vision of, of what it is that they can implement to move forwards. And that's hard. Yes, I think the association of automation, which I believe in, I think every part of a business should be automated if it can be. But I don't think automation means, re means redundancy and universal basic income. I just think it means taking away trivia that machines mm. can do. Mm, 100%. But people see automation as unemployment. Yeah. I think universal that's, basic that's an education piece, though, isn't it? That's That's helping the businesses understand, helping the people get out there and, and, and educate them on the fact that they can use machines to benefit them and their, and their role. And actually they, they could do things that they, that they would, they want to do rather than the things that they're not as excited to do the, the basic administrative tasks. So I think it's really yes. key. Yes. But the education thing is, is difficult because when you, when you think about, People talk of the one percent, mm. and they they refer they th talk of Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk as the one percent, and I think mm, these people are not doing their research properly. One percent of eight seven and a half billion people is seventy five million people. Mm. It's a lot. Seventy five million people are making more than fifty thousand dollars a year you and I fall into that category. That means 7.495 
billion people are making less than a thousand dollars a month and it's very very hard to educate at scale when people are just surviving and so you've got a, you've got a world where 99% of the population are just surviving absolutely and they're they're being pressured to um, reduce their waste reduce their carbon footprint be more efficient uh, become a vegan don't eat any meat um, don't travel and they're trying to survive and then you've got this one percent who uh, want to fly to mars merge with the machines build a spaceship that goes at the speed of light and find another planet mm. it's very imbalanced it's very yeah very very imbalanced it's polar knowledge is very very out of kilter it's polarizing sorry isn't it? no it's it's very polarizing in in terms of the views but not necessarily humans fault because they have this the bubble the sphere of of experience and they only know what they know because that's what they deal with on a daily basis and something that's really important and uh, I, I still think education for me i think education is one of my big challenges in this world i, I think everything can be taught Every, everyone can change um if you can get over the fact that you know they have the maslow's hierarchy of needs um you know so once you get past that point everything else is is um is i think education um, but I, I think we can have a whole podcast on this because I, I could talk to the cows come home when it comes to this pit. But let's move on to the topic because you're an expert. Um, so let's find out. Let's let's help our listeners understand more about the topic in terms of what it is that you do. Um, so give us an, um, an understanding of your business and kind of what, what you do in that business. OK, so I, I do a number of different things one thing i do is i sit on boards public boards and private boards as an independent director as an independent objective voice representing the shareholders who've invested in that idea and supporting the founders chief executives the people who run that particular company the executive directors as they're called as opposed to the independent directors and in publicly listed companies, you, you typically have four independent directors for three executive directors. So the independents can always vote out the executives if they need to fire them, replace them, bring in new talent, merge, sell, whatever. The independent directors have control of the board. They might not be the major shareholders, but they're representing the shareholders, which are typically pension funds or big investment funds or hedge funds, but basically funds. So that's one thing I do. And I've done that since uh, for the last 20 years, uh, more than 20 years, actually 20, yeah, 22 years. Um, the other thing I do is I build with my wife, I build a little com build communities, but specifically I'm building We're right now we're building a community of 100 experts in 100 niches worldwide. And we launched that last September. And so far we've managed to interview 300 
supposed experts, and we've managed to choose 38 of those interviews to be part of that group of 100. And so that's the second thing I do. So the third thing I do is I write books and speak at conferences. And uh, I've written eight different books since uh, 1998. So how long ago is that? 20, 22 years ago. Um, and I've spoken at about 2000 conferences worldwide. So those are some of the things I do. Busy guy. I kind of act as a mentor to uh, in the background to support people I really like. I've, I've been a mentor to Jay Shetty since 2013. And uh, I've watched a, a young man come from nothing to a global superstar. Yes. A very, a very talented young man who, he gives me a lot of credit for his success, but I, I, I say to him is, is all I did was show you the map because I've already walked through those towns and cities you're about to visit. And having been somebody famous on the internet in my thirties, it's very easy to know the path and the route if you've already walked it, you can show that map to somebody else. So I just showed Jay that map back in 2014 and then supported him each day or each week on WhatsApp. And I continued to chat with him pretty much uh, every single week for the last uh, few years. And, and then I provide the same kind of support, again, in the background to my three children up there. Um, who are now embarking on their journey of being entrepreneurs like you, of, of coming up with an idea and building an idea. And I, I encourage all you young entrepreneurs, like I have with Jay and my children, to really believe in your own ideas. Don't, don't let people throw you off what you think is right. Because if you think something is right and you believe in your idea and you think your idea hasn't been done yet, it's probably time for that idea. That's really impactful in terms of when I was in my 20s, I definitely had a lot of naysayers. There was a lot of people who said, you know, that's not going to work. That's already been done. You, you're not, you've not got the experience to run a business like that. Um, and, and yeah, a lot of it did dissuade me from doing certain things. And I, and I went down a path of standardized, you know, work model, you know, offering my time as a service. And if I, you know, believed in my vision a bit more, maybe if I had a mentor, um, I could have, or the correct mentor, um, maybe I would have stayed my course and, and, and path because you're, you're so impressionable in your twenties because there's very, you've not experienced life, right? You've not had the, the bumps and, and the, uh, the pains on your travels as you're going through um, your younger life and, and therefore you haven't learned the lessons. So th I think that's a massive thing for me. And that's what I try to do with people that I meet now is uh, I try and give them impart 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 my knowledge in terms of what i've experienced and then try and let them come up to, with their own conclusions rather than give them conclusions so that they feel like they've yes 
Yes, you're doing the right thing there, Chris. That's the right approach. The thing is, when you're when you're embarking on your entrepreneurial journey in your 20s, you're effectively making a decision to walk across the Antarctic. Mm. And you're going to get very, very bad days, bad weeks, bad months, and you're going to get some sunny days. Mm. And you're going to get a break in the ice, and you also could fall through the ice. But being an entrepreneur is literally like walking the Antarctic. It's brutal. And the only benefit you can provide as a mentor is to say, well, I've already walked it. But the journey, the path that you take will be different to mine, but I have already walked it. So I can show you my map. Mm. The route you take will be different to mine, but I can show you my map and I can warn you of the hazards. And that's really the role of a mentor, to show you the map. But what a, what a mentor can't do is say, what you need to do is. What you need to do is you need to have a bigger sleigh, better boots, a better jacket, a bigger hat, thicker gloves. A mentor can't say any of that because the person is on the journey, effectively on their own. The mentor is only sitting on their shoulder and occasionally putting a map round in front of their face and saying, consider, consider these hazards ahead, consider these opportunities. Oh, look, here's an opportunity to eat meat. You can take on some food. That could be mm. capital. Here's a, here's a break in the ice. Here's a time to rest and, and take on some sun and some warmth. Here's a time to wrap up and withstand the withstand the cold. That's why I like the the first question, that Adrian. Business business is hard, and you've got to keep going. I do I do think business is is like walking the Antarctic. And if you if you listen to the stories that Jay tells me of the last seven years, he confirms that. He reaffirms that. You know, it's been really really hard to do what he's done. Really really hard. And he's one of the very, very few people who've literally done everything I've said. Hmm. Consider all these things. And out he goes and he does them. And I just, I'm just in awe. My three children are in awe. But at the same time, by him, by him being so good at, at doing his thing, he inspires me and that inspires them. And knowledge must be passed through. I had great mentors like Alan Sugar. You find me in Alan Sugar's book. I had Peter Allen. I had Mike Raybone. I had Marcus Hodgkinson. I had fantastic mentors in my career. And I have a duty to them, to thank them by serving the ones behind me. And if you do receive mentoring, uh, Rodney Cox at Symbiotic Computer Systems, amazing. Those mentors that gave to me, uh, you are duty bound in your 40, 50, 60 years, however long you get to pass on to the next generation like you, Chris or Jay. You and Jay, I think you're 32, I think Jay's 33 and my children. And then I expect you and uh, Pat Lyons, another one, Said Ahmed at Savortex. Uh, 
I expect them to pass on to those behind them when they get into their 50s. And when I crossed 50 seven years ago, I, I, I always said, when I, when I reach 50, my job then is to guide those behind because I had all those mentors. I had half a dozen fantastic mentors. And if they were there for me, my job is to be there for those behind me, people like you, Jay, my children. And, uh, you know, I receive hundreds of messages each day on WhatsApp, people reaching out for help or support or connections or introductions or capital or whatever. Business plan templates. You know, I, I do get a lot of messages asking for support. I give as much support as I have the time available. Very honourable of you. And I, I really like that, that you've had mentors and you're imparting their wisdom as well as yours combine compound that fact and then pass it down again i think that's that's a, a nice image of uh, to me that is that to me that is your duty in the human race hmm. you, you receive knowledge you talked about education very wisely you you talked about education we receive a lot of knowledge from our teachers from our parents from our peers from our mentors we roll it all up in a ball we absorb it we go through our 40, 50, 60 years, and, and then we have to pass it on like a baton to those. Mm -hmm. Because the, the knowledge must be passed on because the world is getting so complicated so fast that even, even if you show someone a map, the hazards that are ahead are missing from the map because the map's old. It's all very well, me showing Jay my map, but my map's 30 years old. What Jay wants is a new map, but the new map is being written by him. I can only show him an old map that's got some of the roads on, but he's got to look at my old map and think, okay, well, I, I'll take a bit of your map and then I've got to write my map and then I've got to pass that on to the next after him. Amazing. That is, that to me is being a human, giving as much contribution to the other humans as you can, because the forerunners gave to you, and then passing that through the generations, because the road ahead, the journey ahead, and when we become one with the machines, you know, we've been, um, what's the right word, where you're... Uh, Blinkered. Over what? What's the word you say? I would say blinkered. Blink. Not so much blinkered. Uh, we've been titillated, I think, by this world of AI and oh, okay. virtual reality and the future and Mars and spaceships and escaping this planet because we're going to. We're either going to burn or drown or freeze. You know, this stuff that Greta Thunberg comes out with, which I don't think is helpful, but I understand why she does it. Um, I, I do think the human race will make it through. Yes, we may lose a lot, but we are, in this next 30 years, we are upgrading the human race to machine levels. This is not just having bigger muscles or bigger six packs. 
or being able to run as fast as Usain Bolt, we're upgrading a human race, almost like we're having a software update. And we're all going to have it in the next 30 years, and, and some won't make it, and some will, uh, to prepare to, to become uh, an intergalactic species. I'd love to um, understand what drives you as an entrepreneur. What What's that thing that gets you out of bed in the morning? Because you definitely have this expanse of thought that by the sound of it, you have on a daily basis, which is amazing and almost terrifying at the same time, because um, you can see all the problems, but you can also see all the solutions and, and there's not enough of you to go out and, and affect the path of humanity. Right. Um, you can only just, observe almost that's that's what it feels like so I, i'd love to know kind of what drives you as an entrepreneur and, and what gets you out of bed in the morning well obviously you know i love i love learning and i love reading i i love studying you know i probably read five or ten thousand tweets every day just for the hell of it i i love that i do love i do love connecting people to the right people i've, I've always been very fascinated by people coming up to me and people saying, oh, Thomas, you seem to know everyone. Can you connect me to the right people? <laughs> and I've, I've, always, I've always wondered what, what they actually meant with this statement. Thomas, you seem to know everyone. Well, that's impossible. Can you connect me to the right people? I wonder who they mean. Because I don't know what the definition is of the right people. Is that you? Is that me? Is that Penny? Who, who is that? And so I, I get my joy from community building. I get my joy from um, teaching. Um, I get my joy from observing, from connecting. I, I get my joy from people finding the thing that they are looking for. If, if that's a piece of information, a template, a person, a book, a tweet, a connection, an idea, I think what motivates me, Chris, is helping that person find the thing that they are looking for. And uh, Penny and I have also connected a lot of people who subsequently got married and had children. So, wow. so we've done that probably, I don't know, half a dozen times. And so I, I just like, my joy is when people find the thing they're looking for and they found it through one of my maps or one of my signposts. Uh, you need to create a website with all your maps on. So people can- Yeah, I think the maps are in my head though. <laughs> so you can scale, you become singularity. Let's put you on the internet. <laughs> I, I am prepared in when the time comes to, to, to have the chip embedded inside me, I am prepared for Me that. too. Me too, hundred percent. Can't wait. The only thing, the only thing I work harder is I don't touch technology at the weekend. Uh, no phone, no uh, computers, no internet. I mean, obviously, the car that I drive is full of technology, but other than steering it, and hmm. I don't really. It's so hard to use the car I've got with all this technology in it. I just drive it, but really, I steer clear from technology for two days a week so that I can have time to ruminate and think 
and listen to my family and friends and absorb all the other stuff outside of the machines. And when we become one with the machines in the next 30 years, I worry that I won't be allowed to have that time anymore because unless you can sort of press the computer off, turn it off, come offline, you know, mm. click, click, however it works, will we never be able to escape the matrix? Um, because uh, humans need rumination time. We need thinking time. We need fun time. We need sports time, exercise time, shouting time, singing time, go to a concert time. Uh, our brains need all these things to refresh. And technology is so addictive, it doesn't allow for refresh. And I've spoken to loads of people who've got addicted to Clubhouse of being on it for 60 hours in a week. And I think, okay, well, you've obviously received a lot of information in that time, but that's not healthy. You couldn't make love for 60 hours a week. You couldn't play tennis for 60 hours a week. You couldn't eat food for 60 hours a week. You can play football for 60 hours a week. It's not healthy. And I worry about the addictive nature of, uh, of technology. Oh, 100%. I'm very passionate about this subject. This is something that the likes of Facebook um, has really shone a light on. Uh, in terms of what it is that they they've built this, you know, the fact that people are addicted, that they're getting dopamine hits every time they have a not notification. I was listening to one of the uh, the guys who invented this level of addiction in Facebook, and he was the head head of growth hacks, basically, um, was his name. It was his job title, um, and he's even shocked by the fact of what he's done across the whole industry, because essentially he was the architect of the whole tech industry adopting this method of, you know, pull down to refresh. That is such an addictive behavior. And Clubhouse has that, you know, pull to refresh. And Clubhouse has a lot of things in there that's very addictive. Um, but what's that doing to our our youth, right? What's that doing to our young generation when, when they're growing up with these dopamine hits from technology in their formative years? You know, I, luckily I, I grew up just at the age of technology becoming um, ubiquitous, but it became, but it was still very rudimentary. And therefore I could have that time away from technology, whereas now it's, it's everywhere. But luckily I've formed the correct dopamine paths or the correct behaviors um and don't get me wrong i still i still get addicted you know I, I turn off all the notifications on my phone for a reason um but what's that doing to our to our young generation in terms of their health their mental health what's that doing Remember, go on it's in, in terms of what it's doing remember this is this is the last generation of humans that's a statement. This is the last generation. This next 30 years, this is the last generation of humans. From so 2050 onwards. So what's the term after? Cyborgs? Well, they're machine-based humans. Well, you can call them cyborgs. You can call them androids. You, we, no doubt there will be a label. But I, I like to think we'll will consider them upgraded humans or 
improved humans or better humans, but they will be different. And so this, this last generation of humans born between now and 2050, the ones you describe who've got lots of issues, um, as you describe quite rightly, mental health issues, the, the mental health issues are being caused by the technology. And the technology industry has not taken responsibility for that issue because if the technology industry is responsible for mental health issues, which I believe it is, it should be taxed like alcohol and tobacco. Mm, sugar tax. That's the new one that's come out. Sugar Similar tax. Thing. Sugar tax, alcohol tax, tobacco tax, recreational drug tax, whether it's sugar, whether it's alcohol, whether it's nicotine, whether it's um, uh, cannabis, the same issue has been caused by technology and the technology industry hasn't stepped up to the plate yet to take on that responsibility of accepting the fact they invented smoking mm. and technology is then is the new smoking the smartphone is the cigarette and the dopamine is inside the smartphone and all the notifications that you quite rightly described but because this is the last generation of humans, they're being um, consumed. They're being, um, dare I say, they're fodder. They're fodder for the machines. And the machines are eating this last generation of humans before they become one with the machines. Because the humans are going to fight back and then merge. Hmm. And we're beginning to see the fight back of the humans, but you know, right now we're focused on climate and food and meat and um, racism or color. Re relatively speaking, we're focused on things that are not as significant as the change we're going to see. I know climate is the we're all going to burn, drown and or freeze by 2030. But I think that's nonsense. Obviously, the issue is going to be improved. But the, the breakthrough we'll see in the 2030s is we're going to be able to create fusion, which mm. is one, one drop of fuel to power a car for a year, one drop of fuel to power a city for a year or a home. We're going to achieve fusion in the 2030s. We're going to achieve man and machine as one in the 2040s and 2050s. We're then going to be focused on can we build a machine at the speed of light to go to another galaxy? And bear in mind how fast that is. That's 676 miles an hour. That's how fast it is. And currently we can do 20,000 miles an hour. So we're, we're talking about performance improvements of more than 100,000 times in the generation from 2050 to 2100. It's not possible to make a performance improvement of 100,000 times in 50 years without another input. And that input is the arrival of the chip inside the human in much the, as, as the same way the uh, creationists believe God was the chip that converted the ape into the human. And many arguments are about apes to humans and a god intervention to create a human from an ape 
well effectively we're having we're going to have that intervention again with the singularity that's like our god moment for a second time where we then become man and machine but this this mental health issue created by many things climate race technology sadly a lot of this generation are uh, fodder for the machines the machines are eating these this generation of humans and that is actually quite sad because this is the last generation of of, of pure humans this next yeah. 30 years i mean they found that you know young children suicide rates have gone up since the the advent of facebook and social media they've also found that romantic uh, or just sex in general has dropped because the the self-esteem is not um distinguishable between social media and real life um and and, and therefore they don't feel good about themselves i mean th this is these are crazy things right and and it's creating massive divides in America. I mean, if you've, if anyone's ever watched the um, the Netflix documentary Social Dilemma, um, really scary. I mean, almost um, apocalyptic in the approach of what they're the the chiming to or believe or predicting to, to happen. And what's the answer? There is none because these machines are going to have free reign on our information in some respects because. We, we almost need it. And there's there's no ability to regulate that at the moment, because if you regulate that, you you almost regulate innovation. And, and you know, how, how do you regulate novelness in, in terms of creating new ideas if you don't give it access to the things that it needs to create the next thing? Um, but well, I'm confident humans will, be, will do that. I think it will be time and a lot of uh, sacrifices or, or, you know, <laughs> and that's what it feels like. Like you said, you know, we are fodder for the machine, but it almost feels sacrificial. Um, coming back to the analogy of, of using religion of these tech companies, uh, do you know what? I, I haven't heard a statement that's more impactful in the in the past year for me than that statement because I called them cults. Um, but I think religious religious sex, I think that is way more powerful um, in terms of of looking at how a religion works and then applying that model with when it comes to a tech company. So you know, thank you for that. Thank you for for blowing my mind. Um, but okay, I, I want to know see these companies. When you see these companies and go to their events, I, I've met, I've met Bill Gates and Steve Ballmer. I've been to these giant Microsoft events, um, the Salesforce events with Mark Benioff. When you go to these events, these these are rock concerts. Yeah, these are rock concert events about software. We we had rock concerts like this in the 1970s, which were about God. And the only thing we've swapped is the, the person on the stage is the same. We still see them as a superstar or Christ, but we just swapped God for technology. That's all. But the mm. religious behavior is exactly the same. So would, exactly you, the same. would you say atheism has bred a different type of God? Like we are more science-based? Well, Atheism is just another God because it's it's the belief that there isn't a God, which is another belief. Mm. It's, 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 atheism is just another religion. 
because I, it's believing that there isn't a God religion. So it's it's like a framework, essentially. So religion is almost a framework of, of ideals. Yes, I mean, there doesn't have to be anything there. There just has to be a belief that there might be something there. And what's fascinating with atheism is you you actually go and you believe that there's nothing there. Well, then if you believe that there's nothing there, that's still an idea that there's something there, that there's nothing there. Sure. And so atheism, Richard Dawkins, yeah, I've read all that material. I was, I sat, I've listened to all his podcasts and I think, oh, it's all he's done is invent another religion. Of course he has. Of course he has. <laughs> the difference with things like Facebook with Mark Zuckerberg is Mark Zuckerberg is like an emperor. Mm. Yeah, he's above a president. He's above a prime minister. He's like an emperor. You know, with the Australian situation with the media, he said, he sort of said, turn off Facebook in Australia. Let's just turn it off. Well, that's the behavior of an emperor. And I don't think he did his reputation a lot of good doing that. He just showed his power. He, he showed he was more powerful than everyone in Australia. And I don't think it was a very good move for his reputation. Well, Facebook in general is uh, not got a great reputation as it is, but there's nowhere else to go, right? Unless you have the likes of Clubhouse, which is breeding a new type of social media and people are loving it. Yes, because it's listening based. Mm. Because... Primarily, whether you look at Facebook or YouTube or, or Twitter or Instagram, it's broadcast based. You log on and receive the information. With Clubhouse, you log on and you listen. The, 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 the receiving, the broadcast receiving piece is the listening, is the audio. But do you think there's and, also, sorry, go on, finish your point. Because, because humans, if, if you're out in the wild as a human, particularly at night, your ears are very alert to risk. Mm. Every crunch, every sound, every animal, every hoot, every, every howl, you're very alert to that. You're very alert to where you're walking, very alert to where you're going towards, you're very alert to light, and you're very alert to sound. And you can hear something before you see it. The value of Clubhouse is that you can hear it because you can't see it. And it's, it's let people realize that we're audio-based animals first, not eye-based animals first. We're, we listen first and then we see. Generally, you hear and then you see. Sometimes you see and then you hear, but generally we're audio-based. And Clubhouse is, again, is a return back to our basic innate nature is to listen first and then run or attack. I guess it's not, it's easier to hear in terms of the, you can multitask and listen, whereas, and this is what, what I was gonna to come to earlier was the fact that you could do other things at the same time as absorbing Clubhouse means that the level of boredom is not necessarily there because you can 
do exercise, you can drive your car, you can do all these other things. And I think that's really powerful. And, and actually, this is why I love the medium of podcasts, right? Podcasts en- enable us to do that, to distinguish um, a topic that I'm particularly interested in at that point in time, and then still go about my day doing other things and absorbing that medium. And And I think that it's almost like going back, like you said, to the, to the point of, you know, radio. Um, and that's where we had um, a, that was the first medium that we really truly had in this country, right? That, the, that we, we, we were broadcasted to. When you first got a radio, what was it? What was the experience between radio and TV? Like, what was the difference in your consumption? How were, how were you going about your day differently? Did you sit down and listen well, to we a got radio? Our first, we got our first TV in 1974. I was 10 years old. And so I had seen TVs in, um, obviously, shops that rented TVs, radio mm-hmm. rentals, rediffusion. Those are going back a long time. But when we had a TV in the house, it was a hell of a shock. Mm. It was a hell of a shock to see people on a screen in your house. It was a hell of a shock. And to hear them speaking and walking around. Wow. And remember, you only had uh, two channels. You only had BBC and ITV. So didn't even have BBC two back then. So you, you had two channels. So you basically, it was, it was the news or the $6 million man. That was about it. But the leap, the leap from radio, radio was uh, lighthearted informational information, music, basically radio four and music, but uh, lighthearted background supportive um, general comfort when television arrived it was focus yeah it was, it was look down and look oh my god look at this yeah i was literally going to say that and and so the the joy of the joy of clubhouse is bringing back that comfort background of radio but with the added benefit of you and I, you're asking me these questions. I'm giving you some answers, but we don't know what other people are thinking. Mm. If you had your clubhouse switch and you switched on your clubhouse button and there are 30 other people who are listening to you and me, 29 of those 30 people might have a question that you and I haven't considered, might have an idea that we haven't considered, might want to ask something that we haven't considered, might want to challenge what you're saying or what I'm saying. And that is, that's a breakthrough to have a a live interactive radio show. But the the counter to that is, oh my God, it's actually just a conference call on a telephone. Mm. My God, we were doing that 30 years ago. Yeah, we could do that in the late 1980s. You could sit around a call, a phone. Obviously you couldn't see anyone, but you could sit around a, a phone in the late 1980s and listen to a group call. 
and you listened and you stared at a grey box in the middle of the table. There'd be a dozen of you sitting around the table. There'd be a dozen at their end, and that would be two boards having a meeting. You'd listen to them. They'd listen to you. You'd be there for a few hours. Then you'd turn off the grey box in the middle. That was a, an audio conference call. That's what we have with Clubhouse. So the actual idea is over 30 years old. I'd love to get your opinion on something, actually, because the, the pandemic has um, really shut up the popularity of, of VoIP and Zoom and video calls. And I'm missing phone calls. Like, I miss a good old-fashioned phone call. And it's the same thing, isn't it? It's exactly the yes. same thing. Yes, because you can hear a human through their voice sound that you can't hear from a video screen. Mm. You can hear intimacy. You can hear emotion. You can't hear that on a video call. You can't hear it. If you're being intimate with um, a, a partner of whatever sexual persuasion, but if you're being intimate, it's much easier to be intimate through a telephone than it is through a video. Much easier. And you can really express yourself through your voice into the ear far more intimately than you can on a video screen. But do we... Our ears are more powerful than our eyes. Is it, is it because we are thinking about the way we look, our body language, the things we're doing, and therefore we're not fully engaged, we're not fully focused on what listening and what they're doing and what, what they're saying, and listening and responding in, in the way that you normally would? I think you're right. It's partly that, but it's partly the root of our core survival is audio-based. This is powerful. This is really powerful in, you, in terms of everything we're going to be doing going forwards. As a, as a you humanity. think about it, Chris. If 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 I took away your sight and you had your ears, you could survive pretty well. If I took away your ears, but you had your sight, you would struggle. I'd love you to elaborate on that because I would have said, I, if I had the choice, God forbid, I hope I never have that choice. Um, but if I had the choice, I would have picked my eyes because I felt like I could do more because I could type and I could, I could create. Well, on your show, can I suggest that you interview somebody who is blind and somebody who is deaf and so you can compare? Oh, I can't do that, can I? Well, you can. There is a way for you to do that. Okay. I'll be, I'm, I'm going to have to try this 100% just to, to see the, the response. But usually there's no, there's no two-way communication, I would say. Or if there is, there's a massive barrier there, right? So maybe it's that interconnectivity of human nature to, to, to need to converse But if you think about this experience we're having now with your podcast, I'm staring into a Zoom screen, you're recording it onto a podcast. Mm -hmm. You can hear me. If I switch off my camera, right, and you can't see me. Oh, 
You can't. It doesn't make <laughs> doesn't make a great deal of difference. No. But if you couldn't hear me, it makes a massive difference whether you could see me. Yeah, I agree. I see. I see what you mean. I can see the power that you're trying to convey in terms of the importance of of audio. And I think the the reason you when you mention COVID is because we've been locked at home in this sort of groundhog world of repeat, 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 Zoom, Teams, WhatsApp, walk, eat, Zoom, Teams, WhatsApp, sleep. The a lot of people have become very, very lonely if they don't have a partner or someone to talk to. And I think Clubhouse's timing has benefited from the loneliness of COVID and the lockdown that, oh, look, I, I don't want to join as I don't want to join a Zoom of 100 people, but I'm happy to join a room of 100 people and just listen. This is nice, comfortable listening. And oh, and I can interact with this listening as well. Oh, I can ask a question. Oh, I can go on stage and ask a question. Oh my God, I can host my own room. It, for people in lockdown worldwide, and they've had 10 million downloads, let's assume 1% are hyperactive. You've got 100,000 people in there who are fully engaged, probably on that platform all the time. Divide the 100,000 by 24 hours, and you can see, oh, blimey, there's a few thousand people there every hour. I can talk to a few thousand people every hour. Those, those few thousand people every hour divided into a hundred different rooms. Oh, blimey. Oh, there's gonna be there's gonna be 30 to 100 people in every room every hour, which is what's happened. Mm. Covering every niche, every geography, every topic, the prayer group, the singing group, the dancing group, the yoga group. The, the blockchain group, the NFT group, it's, they're all there in those clubs, in those rooms. And I think it's uh, a joy for Rohan and Paul that they timed this launch during lockdown because their success is because of lockdown and having Mark Andreessen funding the company, inviting Elon Musk on to interview and say, oh, Elon, can you come and do an interview on Clubhouse? You know, what's Clubhouse? just come on click this link and talk and then tweet join clubhouse think oh well job done yeah job done amazing well i think we've gone on for over an hour now so let's let's kind of wrap this podcast up for uh, our listeners so they can um uh get the on with the day but let's let's get some three quick wins uh from you so let's talk about um if one of our listeners wanted to go away and start thinking about what's coming in the future to be disruptive um or to think about how it could affect them and their business what three things would you say they need to to look at how how would they um take this knowledge or prediction um, and apply that to their business what are the things they need to do Okay, the first, the first thing is to understand the pattern, shapes, trends, or memes that are impacting that industry. And there are plenty of books or documents or PDFs or research reports, but, 
but look at all the things that are hitting that industry, every pattern, every shape, every trend, every meme, everything that's going to shock that industry. Make sure you understand all the meteorites or missiles that are coming at that industry. That's the first thing. Really do your market analysis, your market research. And then hidden in that analysis, you'll find the opportunities for that industry to renew itself, to be rebuilt, reshaped, reorganized, refinanced, whatever it might be. So I would say study the market that you're in or the threats to that market and see as it's reorganized what the new opportunities are and then calculate the capital value of those opportunities and then work at how much capital you can raise to support those opportunities. That would be my first win. Uh, and I'd apply that to any industry. Okay. Number two. I think the most important thing you need having done that is a map of where you're going. And a map typically requires a team. And so you've either got to uh, recruit a team, hire a team, build a team, or join a pack that's already a team. Um, like bit 100 is like joining a pack. We hunt together as a pack. And humans, when they feel unsafe, hunt in packs like dogs. And humans are efficient in packs like dogs. Like you see hyenas, hyenas are able to kill lions because they hunt in packs, even though they're a, they're a less efficient animal in terms of scale and bite power. So I would say either, either form a team, build a team, join a team or, or join a community pack where you can access all those resources. So you can then implement the outcomes that you're aiming for from your analysis and your market research of what, what's being reorganized in that market. That would be my second win. So, so it'd be market analysis and then form a team or become part of a team. Number three. Then I think it's about capital. You have to tell stories to raise capital. And the best storytellers raise the most capital. If we look at Elon Musk, he's the world's greatest loss-making billionaire. He's never made a profit in 30 years, yet people continue to throw money at him. We've never seen anyone like him before. Every other entrepreneur has made a profit. He continues to never make a profit in any business ever whether it's PayPal, Tesla, rocket ships to Mars. So raising capital is about telling stories. So surround yourself with great storytellers who can teach you how to raise capital or you can raise capital with them. And then onboard as much capital as you can for your journey across the Antarctic to feed your team because they need a lot of food to cross the Antarctic. And so I would say it would be market analysis, market research, team, and then capital. So storytelling to get the capital. And, and the best storytellers raise the most money. People always say, my God, how did they, how did they raise so much money? How did they get, how, why did they get 6 million? They got 60 million. And I just, I just say, well, they told a better story. Mm. And people say, well, it can't be down to that. And I say, it is. So make sure you surround yourself with very good storytellers who know how to raise capital. So you have food 
for your journey across the Antarctic. Fantastic. And in terms of resources for people to learn on how to, to do this, how to look at finding patterns, I think that's going to be a theme for this podcast. Where can they go to find these, these kind of things? Uh, there's a lot of good books. Uh, who's it? Bernard Marr, who writes about pattern shapes, trends, memes. There's, there's, a lot, there's a lot of great authors who talk about the mega trends. Hmm. So I, it's worth reading all the all the books related to trends or patterns or shapes or memes for that particular industry. You normally find one or two people in, in, in an industry who are exceptionally good at that industry, whether it be technology, pharmaceutical, uh, electric cars in in uh, the transport sector. Hmm. So read 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 the uh, read the futurists or the pattern analyzers of your industry. If people need a template, business plan template, they can email me for that. I've got uh, I've got the business plan template that the Silicon Valley uh, venture capitalists use every day as their template, as their pitch template. I have that, so they can email me for that. Um, I guess if they need other resources that are unique to their industry, they'll probably find those on YouTube. And. In terms of our listeners wanting to either reach out to you or look at your content or find out more about what you're teaching, how can they, how can they do that? How can they find you? Okay, the best place to find me is on WhatsApp. Uh, my number is published everywhere, plus four four seven eight seven five six nine five zero one two. Or they can send me a message on email or LinkedIn or Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or one of those systems. But my preferred is WhatsApp. And they'll find that number published on every platform okay. in the world on the front page next to my profile. That's very unique. And um, there's not a lot of people I've heard um, use that as a communication platform with the, the wider public. So they tend to keep their phone number very private. Um, so it'll be interesting to see I don't why. I as a concept. Okay, right. That's that's interesting. I, I'm I'm here for a short time on planet Earth. If people, if I were to be dead and people said, "Oh, I couldn't get in touch with him. I couldn't find his number," I would be disgusted with myself. If okay. people couldn't get in touch with you because they couldn't find your number or your email. I think you should be disgusted with yourself. And if you read people's profiles on all these platforms, their profiles are so awful. Most profiles are awful on LinkedIn. I mean, terrible. And there's no way to get in touch with people. And I just think you don't understand. Mm. And I, I would still say, I don't know, 700 million profiles on LinkedIn, I'd say 99% of people don't know how to use it properly. And that's just one platform. So I, I think I'd be disgusted at myself if I got to heaven and somebody said, oh, I really wanted to talk to you now you're here. I couldn't find your number when you're on planet Earth. And I think, oh, my God, imagine getting to heaven and, being, and someone telling you that. Now, I, ha I have to be available to everyone all the time. That's really, that's really amazing. 50, 60, 70 years, maybe 80 if you're lucky. You don't get long. It's not very long. No. Spend a third of that in bed asleep. It's getting very philosophical and deep, that that point. Um, so good you place to wrap. 30 years in bed. That's a very good point. It's a very good point. 
So um, thank you for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. And I definitely think there's there's a few more podcasts in us yet of other topics that we can talk about, um, which I, I think, you know, to have such a an interesting mind on this show has been amazing. So thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for inviting me on, Chris. It's been a pleasure. A real pleasure. Look forward to interviewing you on Clubhouse. Yeah, I, I can't wait myself. <laughs> Well, if that didn't blow your mind, I don't know what will. And this is what the Quick Win CEO podcast is all about. Exposing you, the listener, to ideas and topics that you wouldn't ordinarily run into. But what did you think of Thomas's quick wins? Quick win number one, understand the patterns, shapes, trends, or memes that is impacting your industry to understand what's coming to disrupt the industry in the future and make the most of the opportunities as a result. Quick win number two, create a map with a pack. Whether you create a team or join a team, you need one for your journey. Quick win number three, tell stories to raise capital. And the best storytellers raise more capital. And you need capital to feed you on your journey. But what was your favorite bit of this show? Well, you could tell me on Clubhouse because we've created a room for all you quick winners. So make sure you give me a Clubhouse follow to know when I'm live. But you can also tell me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, or YouTube, where you can find me with at Hair Digital. And remember, there are several other podcasts available to listen to, which you can find on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. And while you're there, I'd be so grateful if you can subscribe and write a review. But until next time, I'm your Quick Win CEO, signing out.